Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our study this morning is our first lesson from Acts 2, verse 14a and 32 to 41, as printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear friends in Christ, those of you who, like me, have spent time on the sidelines of youth soccer games are familiar with the the various things that coaches and parents and other supportive family members will shout to the players on the field. Some of these things are are simple encouragements meant to be affirming and to to build confidence. Good job! That's the way to do it. Other comments might be a bit more instructive. Suggestions to play one's position, or perhaps be more aggressive. But one of the most exciting sideline shouts is is what you might hear when, when one of the players on your team breaks free of the other's defenders and has a, a relatively clear path ahead. It's even more thrilling if it's a player who doesn't usually score much. But even if it's a star, the words ring out, Faster and faster and louder and louder. Go for the goal! Go for the goal! With some of the smaller kids, that's actually valuable information because they might just as well be headed for the snack bar as the goal. But with the bigger children and teens, it's an encouragement to to not get so caught up in the the one-on-one challenges and the short-gain dribbling that they forget their ultimate purpose. They need to lift up their eyes just a bit, gain some confidence, and drive forward and take that shot. When it came to the goal of our salvation, Jesus never needed to be told or even reminded what to do. He always had his eyes fixed on that prize and never wavered or got distracted. But when it comes to our role, conveying and communicating, even comprehending that salvation, we Christians often need this kind of encouragement. The encouragement to lift up our eyes just a bit, to gain some confidence, to drive forward and take that shot. In recording for us how Peter concluded his sermon to the crowd in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit writing through Luke, not only shows us how it's done, he cheers us on and tells us also to go for the goal. Now, there is actually a lot of meat in this text from Acts 2. There's there's enough for several sermons, actually. There, There are important truths here about topics like the Trinity, about the person and work of Christ, about the how and when of conversion, and about whom and what baptism is for. But this morning, we're going to limit ourselves more to a a practical consideration of of Peter's preaching. Now, Last week, in the, the preceding section of his sermon, we saw how the apostle was careful and consistent in confronting his hearers with Christ, whoever they were, whatever their situation was. But now we see that he would never have been satisfied merely to give them information about Jesus and stop there 
as though he was only responsible for taking the ball up to midfield and no further. No. He went for the goal. He called for repentance and belief, even for baptism, for the forgiveness of sins. Just as he was not going to leave those people in ignorance of their Savior, so he was not going to leave their sin and unbelief unchallenged and their souls languishing unsaved. Their salvation was too important. And what Jesus had done for them, too momentous for it to be treated as a mere story to be told, they needed to be turned around from hell-bound to heaven-bound through the power of the gospel. But for the gospel to do its work on their hearts, first, they needed to hear the law. We, we don't hear here a, a, a long list of commandments they have broken, though verse 40's appeal to them to save yourselves from this crooked generation suggests that, that Peter did spend more time calling out their particular sins than is written here. But what we do have is one very powerful condemnation of their guilt. After clearly establishing for the crowd that the same Jesus of Nazareth that they had heard preach and had seen do miracles was the very Messiah that God had promised centuries before, the one they had been waiting for. Peter told them, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ whom you crucified. He was not accusing them all of having nailed Jesus to his cross, but they understood what he meant easily enough. They had remained silent when their leaders conspired and when they convicted Jesus of no crime other than being honest about his identity. They had remained silent when Jesus was sentenced and led to Calvary, or worse, they had joined in the shouts for Pilate to crucify him, crucify him. But even more fundamentally, they now could understand why Jesus went to the cross. It was because of their sins, their countless self-seeking offenses against the will of their loving God and Creator. So yes, they crucified him. They were guilty of killing the one who came to save them. The fact that without his death he would have saved no one doesn't change anything about their guilt. They had made their choices and their sins separated them from any claim to the favor of God or, or a place in his heaven. They condemned them to death and hell. And Peter's words hit right where he aimed them. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It was as though the, the knife of the law had pierced right through all the, the calloused, scarred layers of, of sin and selfishness that surrounded their souls and finally reached something living and sensitive. They felt their guilt. And they knew the fear of judgment for what they had done. They offered no excuses. They made no 
counter-arguments. They didn't try to defend themselves. They pleaded instead, Gentlemen, brothers, what should we do? And Peter did not hesitate. He drove forward and brought them to the goal. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He did not leave them to figure it out on their own. He did not walk away and say, well, I'll let them stew on that for a while until they've suffered enough and are really ready to do something about it, and then I'll tell them. No. He wanted what the Lord wanted. He wanted them to believe and to be saved in that moment with no delay. So he called them to complete repentance, called them to trust in Jesus, and yes, called them to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And then, then they all would be as he and the other disciples were, delivered from death and damnation, headed for heaven, filled with the Holy Spirit, and made new in Christ. And Luke tells us that some 3,000 people were that day. Because it is so different from our own experience, it's hard to imagine what that would have been like. But Pentecost was a day of wonders and amazing blessings. And yet, there is no reason not to expect the gospel and the word and in baptism to do the same things today as it did that day. It has the same power and the same purpose, and people today have the same need for it. So we too will go for the goal when we are given opportunities to, to tell people the truth about their situation and their Savior. Like Peter, we will not be satisfied with giving anyone merely an acquaintance with the truth about Christ or God's Word. No, we want to aim not just at their minds, but at their hearts so that their souls might be saved. So we will do as the apostles did and as Scripture teaches us how it is done. We will confront sinners with their guilt and the reality of their condemnation as well as their inability to redeem themselves. And we will let God's law therefore cut them to the heart. And then once they see their need, we will joyfully, excitedly drive forward and, and take the shot that is the whole purpose of our witness. We will call them to complete repentance, to trust in Jesus, and yes, even to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And then, and then they will be as we are, delivered from death and damnation, headed for heaven, filled with the Holy Spirit, and made new in Christ. But this lesson about going for the goal is not just about not just a lesson about dealing with unbelievers. It is also important, very important for you and me as believers. 
Because we still have a sinful nature. We still sin. And our hearts are every day pulled away from Christ and pulled toward the world and the life that he saved us from. This means that for ourselves, we cannot become complacent with our Christianity as though we can just put our faith on autopilot and never have to deal with sin in our lives, with unbelief in our hearts, or with the consequences of ungodly choices. As Luther put it in his small catechism explanation of baptism, baptism means that the old Adam in us should be drowned by daily contrition and repentance and that all its evil deeds and desires be put to death. It also means that a new person should daily arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So Peter's call here to save yourselves from this crooked generation applies just as much to us and our fellow believers as it does to those who do not yet believe. When we are confronted with God's law, with the condemnation of sin in our lives, we offer no excuses. We make no counter-arguments. We do not point the finger at anyone else. We repent. Repentance should be our daily practice, not just a box checked off somewhere in the distant past. And in the same way, of course, after repentance, we will embrace the grace of God in the gospel over and over again with joy. We will gladly, joyfully, wonderfully remember our baptisms and how at the font our sins were washed away and God claimed us as his own dear children. And we will turn again and again to the Scriptures to learn again and again about Jesus and about what He has so graciously done for us. And to learn about all the precious and wonderful things that the Lord wants us to know and the promises He wants us to trust. That, that is the Holy Spirit's goal with the means of grace. And so it is also our goal. Repent and believe and repeat. If you're cheering someone on in a soccer game, you don't tell him or her to go for the goal only once or only in one way. No, it's something you keep on doing until the game is done. In the same way, we will keep on doing what Peter demonstrated for us with his Pentecost preaching. We will keep on applying the law and giving the gospel. We will keep driving forward and we'll keep taking our shots as many as we can and as often as we can to get as many people as we can to the goal of everlasting life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.